0: Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Jeremy Ryan Slate, a scholar who has examined the Roman Empire through his studies at Sittenhall University, an entrepreneur, podcast host of Create Your Own Life and CEO of Command Your Brand. Welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Jeremy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, man. I know uh, I've got to have the pleasure of having you on my show a few times. I've also been on your radio show. so uh, So thanks for having me,
0: man. Yeah, it's your first time here on geopolitics and empire, and you know you've got a great podcast that I listen to. You've had uh, everyone from Michael Flynn and Colonel Doug McGregor and Seth Dillon of Babylon B to, to to little old me, <laughs> to myself. Uh, but and before getting into some of the 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 topics we're going to discuss and, and and before getting sort of your your memory dump, your data dump, uh, I, I you know as you mentioned, we've been talking on TNT and on your podcast, but it's your first time here. And I never really got a total overview of your background, which is interesting. And you know, maybe if you could tell us a bit about you know where you're coming from, what has driven and what drives you, and the work you're doing today. Well, I have a little bit of a weird background.
1: Initially, I wanted to be a college professor, and that was kind of like my life's goal. So uh, my undergrad degree, um, I'm a double major in uh, Catholic theology and Judaism, um, and I took a lot of Russian history for some odd reason. <clears throat> my uh, master's degree is. Uh, In early roman empire propaganda i studied the tools that augustus caesar used to convince people he was god so i've I've really looked deep into that looked in alexander the great things like that i was very obsessed with uh things in that time period i ended up actually teaching when i got out at a catholic school that had just gotten rid of grades and uh let me tell you that was an experience man It, it ran me out of the idea of wanting to be a teacher in about two years Because I'm like, all right, so these kids realize they can pass one thing in a semester and pass for the semester. And I can see why getting rid of number grades ruins everything. So I very, very quickly burned out. And this was around 2013. Um, That year, my mom actually ended up having a really bad stroke. And it made me look at a lot of what I was doing in my life. And... I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this or what I want to do. So I went through a number of different things before in 2015, I started my current podcast, the Create Your Own Life Show, which we are uh, over 1,100 episodes deep in now. And also my company, Command Your Brand, where we help people to get their messages out in the right podcasts.
0: Yeah. And I've been, you know, I've been um, sort of working with with you guys to get some guests from you. And um, I really enjoy what you're doing um, on, on, on both fronts there. And, yeah to get your thoughts then on the state of what's going on and maybe we can start with america because we are both uh americans Uh, some people get confused yes i was born in chicago and illinois even though i'm a croatian citizen and uh mexican Uh, and so the state of america things don't look good uh and you know jeremy i've been for 20 years yeah, I I sort of decided to expatriate from the U.S. Empire in the 2000s, and my ticket out was Peace Corps Mongolia. But even back then, myself studying history, like yourself, I just felt the empire was on the decline, and that what mm-hmm. we were going to see in the coming decades was economic decline, um, deterioration, cultural degeneration, and author- the, the rise of tyranny, which which we are now, I think, seeing. And so, what what sort of your take on where we are um, as you know, the the Republic and Empire?
1: I've had kind of a weird experience of it because I, for me, like, I grew up very, very conservative. You know, everybody listened to Rush Limbaugh in my house, Sean Hannity constantly playing. I actually voted for George W. Bush in 04, which I highly regret. And I even remember the Iraq War happening in, in 2003 and remember thinking, okay, we need to do this, we need to handle this, we need to get out there. Like, I would feel like I was very brainwashed by a lot of things. And then I discovered this guy angrily yelling on the radio. His name was Alex Jones. And um, it took me down a very deep rabbit hole of, you know, looking at things like, you know, Ron Paul and different organizations out there and things like that. So it's, for me, I kind of had around that 2004-2005 time period, I had my whole worldview kind of disrupted because I expected one thing out of the world I was living and I realized it was something vastly different. And so I think with a lot of Americans they don't truly understand the world situation to be understanding what's happening, right? Like if they're, you know, getting the NFL, if they're getting these different things, if they're watching Dancing with the Stars, they're pretty happy. But I think for for me, the thing I look at is, I remember in, in 2007 having my Volkswagen serviced. And at that point in time, it was like $80 an hour was considered to be expensive for car repairs. Those same car repairs are $160 an hour now. So if you look at the value of a dollar and how it's reduced over time, that's the scary part. And that goes back to you know fractional reserve banking, which is the tax that a lot of us pay because the inflation continues pumping up and we don't realize it exists. So for me, I look at it and I'm actually most concerned about the financial portion because that's kind of what pushes everything else. And all these other things are just narratives to justify where it's going. But But what I'm looking at is... We're we're moving towards more of a digital currency here in the U.S. We're moving more towards digital currency internationally, and I'm concerned they're going to crash the financial system to be able to do these different things. That that's, it's, in my opinion, anything since 1913 politically is kind of just a a, a ruse and a charade.
0: <clears throat> I I think um, I think you're on point, point. and I get a few guests who tend to focus on this uh, as you are now and you know basically the dollar is the world uh reserve and what I also talk about often is in inflation I feel like there are multiple threats tied into one as you mentioned the the mm-hmm. status of the dollar and the economy uh the Cbdc threat and, and also you know the the other part of the whole great reset project the the feudal aspect so mm-hmm. inflation which that you know that's going to that, that's wiping out the middle class as you kind of gave a brief example they are eroding the middle class through inflation uh and then once they get to a certain level at some point they're going to bring in this digital currency and some of us have already uh, had a taste of of, of of the shape of things to come like myself mm-hmm. having the dhs uh, ban me from paypal and getting taken off of patreon others wow. now getting ba- um, banned uh, debanked in mm-hmm. europe canada brazil uh, us uh Australia and so this is that as you, as you mentioned digital cbdc social credit system uh e- economy and so I guess you know I could I wouldn't disagree with you that that, that seems to be the key point there and um uh you know a- any further thoughts on that do you think they'd be able to successfully establish uh, a cbdc system or that we'd still be able or or, or you know it'd be like a two-tier system where, where we mm-hmm. would still have access to private cryptos or cash or something so
1: i'll get to that in just a second but you hit a really good point actually when you were on my show recently too and and we created a little bit of a firestorm on youtube and it was where uh we were talking about um inflation and how it relates to um minimum wage and i think that's one of the big things that people have been brainwashed about because they're saying, "Oh, why would you not pay anybody a living wage or, you know, if all these people are making money, why wouldn't you pay more of them wage?" And I think people don't understand that inflationary cycle and how it functions. Like the big companies and the big individuals, they're still not going to pay any taxes anyway, right? They're just they're going to f- they they have the right people, they have the right they have the money to do it. They're going to figure out all the different ways whether it be through corruption or good accountants or, you know, greasing the right palms to not pay taxes what ends up happening is if you have this idea of a minimum wage, you're pumping up inflation because then somebody to, to make your hamburger is getting paid $15 an hour. And now your hamburger costs 20 bucks. And now nobody buys that $20 hamburger. So now the company's out of business. So I think there's also this brainwashing where most people don't understand basic economics. And it's used to the advantage of the state, right? Like we look in 2007 when, uh, or 2008, sorry, when the financial crisis was happening. They had people scared to death of what was going to happen in that standpoint in time if they did not get their money, and all they were actually doing is transferring money to the balance sheets of banks that were then giving it to their shareholders and giving it to, um, you know, their their C suite executives. It wasn't actually helping individuals. So I think that's one of the major problems. Now, if you bring that into what you're asking in terms of where we're headed with central bank digital currency, I think if you just kind of read. The the Biden's done a couple of different executive orders throughout 2023 around digital currencies. I think their idea is to actually get rid of any digital currencies that aren't federal because there's been a lot of different narratives around this in the media. Right. They talk about, oh, well, people would only use a crypto if they're selling drugs or buying things in the digital Silk Road or doing that. So that's kind of the the information narrative that's around it. And they they talk about using cryptos to hide money and to hide transactions and do this, so they've already kind of given it this bad taste in people's mouth, and government wants people to only have money that they have control over, and that's where cryptos are real dangerous. So I think if we move into a central bank digital currency, which you already have to some extent, um you know the Fed now system passed last year, which was a changeover from the Swift banking system to the current system and I don't think we're far away from having something different. Your dollar has been digital for quite a long time as it is, right? Like I, I know it's terrible, but I don't carry cash most of the time. And I'm sure most of people, most people the same way.
0: And what you're just saying, I mean, a week ago, the news broke that uh, starting from January 1st, 2024, the IRS has put out diktats Edicts, Edicts now that you can't even be complied with. It said, if you. Something to the tune of if you, if you receive ten thousand dollars or more in crypto transactions, you now have to report the sender's name and social security, which you don't even have when you receive mm-hmm. crypto. And then they said you've. They're going to the, use that as security thing, though. They're going to say because you can't do that, you can't use that. Yeah, I, and that's exactly what you just laid out. They're eliminating the competition, and then you get fifteen days to report, or you become a felon. And it's like, then who do you report to? And you know, honestly, I just i took down as soon as i read that last week i took down my crypto donations because i don't re- really receive so many and now it's just for, for so, a little podcaster like me it's like it's difficult to deal with in terms you know and i don't want to get under the boot of the empire so it's just like you know what um this year i'm not gonna deal with that and so for now i've removed it i know there are other people out there that i talk to anarchists and others who say yeah i'm not reporting and and uh i'm taking crypto well you guys do you. I'll, I'll do me. But it's it, it's work, it's working right. So that you know they got they got me to take it off uh, for now. And so uh, meanwhile, while this stuff is being hashed out, so uh, it it seems they're moving in that direction. And then what about the regime, as I call it? You know the the Biden regime. Although you know it's really a uniparty party system. You you, you mentioned mm. Bush. You know it's it's a it's a dynasty. It's I, I, one other thing I I want to ask you about as well is American exceptionalism. Yeah. American exceptionalism whether it's the government or individual Americans but th- this double standard of like oh Putin's been in power for 20 years or Xi Jinping or whoever we've got dynasty here we got uh, mm-hmm. the the Bush senior Clinton Bush junior um Biden Clinton uh you know Obama uh Trump and then again Biden Obama uh Clinton and so your thoughts on the regime uh, in the US and the tyranny is rising you know they're starting now mm-hmm. to classify us conservative or you know just not maybe not even cons- not conservative uh, libertarian uh but you know patriotic americans from all walks uh we're being now labeled domestic extremist terrorists mm-hmm. uh, well they, they are the fascists and they're calling us the fascists yes and so y- your thoughts on this uh tyranny that's rising i i just had
1: uh dinesh d'souza on my on my show recently to talk about his new his new film police state and one of the things that he mentions in the film is to really have, um, you know, a police state, you need to have a one party system. And if you look at it, that's really what it's become. Um, sure. It's the, by name, the democratic party, that's controlling a lot of things, but there, there isn't much difference between the democratic party and the Republican party at the the high level, right? There isn't, um, they're all going to vote for their war in Ukraine. As long as they're getting their kickbacks, they're, they're going to vote for, um, some of the worst corruption ever, which is these stupid economic omnibus bills they pass every year. They don't vote on in individual spending bills. So there, there isn't a lot of difference between that. What there is a difference between, if you look at what's happened to a lot of the quote unquote, January 6th protesters and how they've been handled, that's how they look at you regular people, right? Like they look at us as kind of the cockroaches on their shoes. And I think that's the, the real issue is it's not political party. We've started to lose the middle class and we've started to become kind of a a Marxist dream in a lot of ways, you know, uh, between a, a a bourgeois class and kind of a, a proletariat class is what we're actually seeing created here. And the thing that scares me is you look at how they've treated not just President Trump, but people that supported him. Um there was the Philadelphia speech from Biden last year where he was talking, which I don't by the way, I don't know who advised him. Let's have red lighting and let's have troops behind you in the background. Like, that's very authoritarian. Um, but then even this this latest one he had at Gettysburg, like there's very strong words of of really, you know, almost comparing the other party to Nazis at this point in time. And it's like we've we've gotten to a point where to not have a regime type of viewpoint is dangerous. And we're we're still seeing. Three years down the road, they're still arresting people for January 6th just for being there. Um, you know, my my wife was like, hey, let's go to uh, the White House in January. I'm like, let's not. That's a whole bunch of people in one space, honey. I don't see this going well. But, you know, you look at it down the road and, and those people, a lot of them haven't been charged. A lot of them are still being held. And it's getting to the point where people are getting scared to say anything. Now, I will say, I think we're still a long way from total control, but we're kind of on the precipice of something right now. And it's, it's kind of scary because you look at it that the democratic party owns the department of justice. They own, uh, the FBI because of a lot of what's happened with rushing gate and, and things like that. Um, you know, and though they don't own the Supreme court, it doesn't seem to really vote by what's the constitution. So we're, we're in a very weird position where one party has total control and what exists to the other party is pretty much in agreement with it anyway. So I just, it, it can be very disconcerting as an individual.
0: I think yeah it's, as you say we're on the precipice and that's the confusing part where it's like we're there but we're not quite there and I it's kind of hard to calculate precisely uh you know where we are exactly where we're going um and it's all almost like the punishments are selective uh as well because you know as you just gave some examples some people get punished and arrested for not for you know wrong wrong think uh and mm-hmm. others nothing happens to them um and also the Hunter the, Biden. <laughs> the, yeah, there you go, perfect example. And then the culture war. Um, you know, you've got the these different groups now on the right and left, BLM, Antifa. Uh, nothing happens to them. I view them as sort of the 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 brown shirts, if you will, the red mm-hmm. guard, the useful idiots. Uh, and you know, at some point, I think they once their purpose has been served, they, they will be um discarded you know maybe as you say once the power is uh shored up in washington they'll you know i i think the dhs will eventually you know they'll classify blm and antifa as domestic terrorist groups and if if they haven't already and then they will actually do something about them mm-hmm. once the power is uh firmly in, in in place but then you've got the wokeism the cancel culture the, this um you know the 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 transgender stuff um uh, I think it's
1: very useful to them,
0: too, though. So it's
1: like they're going to they're going to keep it
0: going for the time being. I don't
1: know if you, there's a really great book. Um, I think the author's name is Eric Larson. Um, it's called um, In the Garden of Beasts. And it actually um, takes the um, U.S. ambassador to to pre-Nazi Germany. And it takes you through like I think it's like a two or three year period in his life where he's living in Germany and he's kind of him and his daughter kind of observing how like, hey, things are good. Things are a little bit worse. Things are a little bit worse. Things are a little bit worse. Like, oh my God, how did we get here? And it's in like a three or four year period that it takes you through this time period. And I I think people don't realize, you know, kind of the the whole frog in the boiling pot of water idea of like that gradual process. Eventually, it hits right, and it's it's kind of in alignment with what you're talking about. Like there are groups that go in, you know, just like the brown shirts did in Germany, and they destabilize things, right? Because if there's destabilization, well, then there's a need for law and order and there's a need for handling things and there's a need for um the correct justice system so then someone has to go in and handle that that destabilization is actually very very important to creating kind of the conditions for the next um you know act of things
0: and where where do you see you know the globalist factor this is something that i focus on a lot is this push Mm -hmm. towards world empire or world government and you know they've got their tentacles in washington in every nation pretty much and um they're meeting soon this month um davos i i think i saw one of the themes rebuilding trust and it's like who are you kidding we all know you are <laughs> you know the whole world knows you're sna- rebuilding trust but um y- your thoughts on on you know how you think of globalism is it as big a deal is their power waning are they failing um and, and whatnot So I I have, it's interesting because I feel like my views developed a lot
1: on this over the years, you know, from questions I've asked you, from questions I've asked other guests, from things I've been reading. And I feel like if you ask me 15 years ago, I had this idea of like, kind of there's this one globalist group and they're trying to take over everything. And, you know, it's connected to this group and that group and this group. And it goes through that and they meet at the the Bohemian Grove and all that. And I think it's actually a little bit more fractured than that. Like, if you look at it, um i'm gonna call on my conversation with richard poe on this there's like kind of 12 or 13 families that control everything and they've been out there for a very long time you know they're most likely connected to the house of medici and connected to these different families in different countries like the families don't disappear maybe the names change but they over time continue to go now they all have the same end in mind right of of total control but there's different programs running by each family to do these different things. You know, one of those programs may be the World Economic Forum. One of those programs may be, um, you know, the CCP. But there are all these different programs running to get close to the result. And they're just trying to see who can do it better, man. And that, that, that's what I look at is there's competing programs, which all have the same result going in the future. And they're kind of looking at which one's going to win. And they all create enough destabilization to kind of mess things up. I wish I could say it was kind of more of a cohesive thing is the way I used to look at it. But I think it's really, you know, I've heard 12, I've heard 13, I've i I've heard somewhere between those two numbers. I, I tend to believe more of 12 since I've heard that more often. But I think really, if you look at it, there's probably about 12 different programs running at the same time. And one of them's going to win eventually, but they all kind of end up in the same thing. Does that make sense? Or is that kind of a little too all over the place?
0: <laughs> no, no, I th- it makes sense because I've been having guests as well um, come to a similar conclusion as you and you know, I I don't have a firm. Um, well, know, to
1: me, I think the only reason, like you could say, is like okay, you Bilderberg used to be the big thing, now nobody cares, right? Because it's like a program that failed and they discontinued it and they did in the new thing, right? So it's like it's hard to say it's a continuing narrative across the place.
0: Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah I, as I said, a lot of other people are, are coming to similar conclusion um, as yourself, and you know, getting a bit then into the American foreign policy. Maybe first treating this uh, idea of American exceptionalism, you know, one thing that I disliked about being in the U.S. was just this attitude that not everyone, but, you know, some Americans have that that we are the best. And, you know, there are a lot of great things in America. That's why everyone goes to America. You can succeed economically with nothing. You can, you know, you can get there, you know, don't even speak the language. And in a couple of years, you're, you know, being a great, you know, you have a lot of freedom. But still, there's this attitude, this superiority complex where Americans think uh, everyone else sucks, third world countries suck. Uh, and then that, that I think that comes, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Or Washington, you know, we all see, you know, Washington, uh, Putin 10 years ago wrote an op-ed in New York Times talking about American exceptionalism and how we're all the same. And, you know, from my Christian worldview, I, I feel that all humans... Um, we're on the same level and should be equally respected, and so should uh, nations. But Washington thinks it owns the world. They want to roll out full spectrum dominance. Uh, y- your thoughts on uh, American exceptionalism?
1: It's tough because if you look at it, like in kind of the the post World War II era, that's when a lot of these things change. Because at, for a period of time, you know, America was the main hegemon, right? Like we controlled a lot of different things, and we. Were, but I think that the thing that. Okay, there's a few different threads on this. Like, number one, like I think it's a good thing to think your country is good and your country's doing a good job and you know, to support your country and be nationalist in some ways. But I think at the same time, you have to understand your country can do some wrong. And I think the problem is the way our the way our current state is set up, unless it doesn't support the current regime, they're always going to talk about how it's a good thing, right? And they're always gonna talk about how it's wonderful. So I think you're kind of ideas of the country get shattered once you see some of the things we've done, right? You look at how Vietnam went and how that ended. You look at, um, you know, how we've used, quote unquote, having the reserve currency of the world to handle the rest of the world. Like you even look at Americans traveling in other countries. Like we don't always respect other countries well when we travel. And I, I think the thing you have to understand is my country is great, but other countries can be good too. And I think there, there's, we're getting closer to that. But I think the other problem with that is you kind of get these, and I guess it's a little bit more on the left, you get people that kind of flog themselves for being American. I think that's also ridiculous. You know, you to look at, you know, how Biden talks about America or how um, Obama used to talk about America. Like, I, I think we try to do the best job we can. I think our wheels of power without kind of the permission of the people have done a lot of things that, that shouldn't be furthered, right? Like you look at the intelligence agencies have done things like that. It's the same differentiation you can make between, um, you know, the Lao Beijing and the C- CCP in China, right? Like the CCP is terrible, but the people are good. And I think that's the issue you run into is our country has done things in our name that are not very good things. But we as individual people, had we known those things, had we been able to accept those things, because I think now finding out about those things, it's hard to accept them. We would not have permitted them. So I think the idea of american exceptionalism i think every country should see themselves as exceptional and every country should be continually trying to make themselves exceptional but i think we do need to get a rein on our government that's doing things in our name they shouldn't be doing and we need to stop getting in everyone else's business
0: and speaking of everyone else's business uh you know you talk to a lot of uh smart people and you know you you formulate your own Opinions as well, and so you know this this issue of World War III. We're we're seeing multiple fronts open up now, right? Ukraine, mm-hmm. Middle East. Uh, you've had people to talk on uh, about Taiwan and China. We're seeing Venezuela, well, even
1: Kosovo, which nobody's talking about at the moment.
0: Right? Yeah, I mean, so many fronts. Kosovo. Uh, there was the Nagorno Karabakh front, and then Venezuela, Guyana. People are talking about U.S., Mexico, and so. Um, I liken this to a hundred year storm. Like this is the 1930s again, and it's cyclical. Um, in many ways, I got a lot of books behind me on the cycles, you know, fourth turning and a whole bunch of others. Um, your thoughts, um, on, on, you know, are we going into world three, world war three? Do you think we're going to see a larger military conflict between some of the great powers?
1: Well, I think if, if you can attach a lot of this to economic cycles. Because if you look at it, um, you usually have like some sort of a big bust before you have a war or a giant conflict. So you look at kind of, you know, 1929 sets everything up. Um, There was an economic uh, economic panic in the late 1800s. I cannot remember the exact year, so somebody else is going to have to quote me on that. But they're typically before a big conflict is an economic panic, right? And we just had our giant economic panic in 2008. And then we had a replay again in the last couple of years because apparently we didn't learn our lesson and we continued uh, investing on derivatives and things like that. Um, So I think we are headed towards some sort of a global conflict. Now, the thing I'm looking at, though, is I don't know if it's going to be the same type of kinetic war that we're used to. I think we've kind of moved into this area where we're so connected via the Internet and via social media and these different things that it's actually more of a psychological war. And countries, I think, if you look at it, we've been at war for quite a while with, you know, Russia, with China, with these different countries, because we're all throwing propaganda at each other and we're seeing what sticks. Um, and the one nobody talks about, but I think really should be looked at is, you know, what is the, the British crown doing as well? Because if you look at even with um, the Steele dossier and, and Russiagate, well, the Steele dossier, um, Steele, Christopher Steele was a British intelligence asset. And we're kind of forgetting about that. I I don't think the British Empire ever died. I just think what happened is it decided we're not going to win doing things the way we used to do it. So I think they were one of the first to go in more of this kind of psychological warfare type of way. And I think that's what our next war is going to be like for the regular people. Things may not change that much, but I think we're in, you know, going into one of the most vicious wars we've ever seen
0: yeah i I need to start looking at that looking at that a bit more i i think yeah you're on something the information war psychological uh cyberspace uh and all that and you know people talk also biological chemical uh and, and in many ways it's wars of governments against their own populations, but there are these forces vying for ultimately global um control and you know sort of my next you know link to that is is censorship you know how do you see mm. There's this information war. Uh, The DHS just, uh, again, a week ago, they're getting involved now financing um, against the manosphere. So basically, like at universities now in the U.S., I I just kind of whittled it down in my mind. So basically, if you're not on board with feminism and you want to be a manly man, you're a domestic extremist terrorist. And it's like the DHS now wants to be God. They want to be the arbiter of uh, what is the correct cultural, you know, social... Um, spiritual value. If you want to be a man, mm-hmm. you're a terrorist. Uh, if you, if you, you have to be effeminate, man, or you have to be pro-feminism, or whatever we say. Uh, and so, um, your thoughts on where you see censorship going? I mean, we've been battling this for a while. Uh, you know, we're, we're still going. There are alternative platforms. You know, new stuff is always coming up. But you know, in, in the years ahead, they could start shutting stuff off or, or, or mm-hmm. criminalizing thought so you know if you start posting stuff you you go to jail you know we'll have to see what happens with Julian Assange if he's extradited that sets the legal precedent for now anyone in the whole world who does something like he does can just be renditioned on and, and and taken away so your, your thoughts on censorship and you know alternative and independent media
1: well i, I don't know if you've been following and, and i'm sure your audience has been following um the uh, misery versus biden case uh and I think that's actually there was a stay that was done for a period of time that, you know, U.S. agencies couldn't connect with um, different social media organizations. I, I believe the Supreme Court struck that down, though, so I believe they're allowed to interact with them again as of October. Um, so it was a very short stay. So I think the problem is unless we can kind of get rid of the link between government and social media, then our reality isn't real. And I think the thing that, that's scary about it is like, think about how much information or how much data we give social media. Now, if somebody on the street asks you for all this information, you'd be like, absolutely not. I would never give you those things. But we willingly give it to social media every day. It's kind of the best dossier and every single person ever created. So I, I think we've been kind of pulled in by the honeypot. And now they're they're kind of bringing it in. And frankly, I don't know how much I trust Elon Musk. I, I, I don't know. I, I've I've heard good things and I've heard bad things. And I just... The thing that worries me is a lot of the psychological stuff he's done with um, ha- everything having to do with, um, oh gosh, what is that technology done? He wants to put in your head, the Neuralink. Uh, right. Neuralink. There we go. Like that thing scares the heck out of me, man. Like I don't want anything connected to my head. Like I, I, I don't want that to happen. So, like I, th- I think you have to think with him. That's the direction he's going with everything he's going. He wants to turn X into a payment platform and things like that. So, I don't know how much I trust him at the moment. It's the freest space, but if you look at all these different platforms you know, parlor has failed. Um, in my opinion, and some people may not like this. I think truth social has failed. A lot of these other alternative platforms have failed and the big ones that have existed continue to exist. So I, I am a little bit worried about where it's headed. I am hoping that people in our government, like Jim Jordan and and people and and people the like will continue to do something about this, but I don't think there are many people fighting on the side of Liberty on this. They're, they're um, I've, I've heard, um, Matt Gates talk about, if you heard some of the private conversations of like what Congress would like to do about your freedom of speech, you, you'd be a little concerned. So they're all kind of in on the same game because it allows them to get control. And that's what really worries me about where we're going, man. Like when somebody starts to say we're, we're in a post-truth world, I, I find that very believable.
0: And I would agree with you. I was actually thinking about this the other day as I was, um, looking again at all of my presence online and truth uh, all of these alternatives you know parlor failed truth social i don't think it's uh, a viable float for example i i've interviewed the, the 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 founders of that on tnt and they they don't exist anymore um you know i'm on me we which was created by tim berners lee uh i think and that's not really going anywhere Minds, you know i've interviewed bill um uh, i'm forgetting his last name now the head of Minds on, on uh, uh here on the podcast and ottman i think who's also been on joe rogan and um, I'm not getting any traction. And it's, so it's just like I'm thinking of discarding those and just focusing where I, I am getting traction, mm-hmm. right? Telegram, uh, Twitter, the video and audio platforms, Substack, because we all have an issue. You know, time Time is money as well, energy. Yes. And so I need to cut some of this stuff loose. And as you say, going forward, it's 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 like we're in the crucible now. Civil War, your thoughts on – I know you asked me about it. <laughs> um, but every day now, you know, since we had that conversation, uh, Axios uh, somewhere it's on my socials here. I, I, I pu- they published the a poll uh, that more Americans think that uh, here it is. Many Americans expect election-related violence over future losses. So again, you're seeing um, these these signs here. I ha- again, I have no idea what any of this might look like. I do feel, you know, I listened to Clay Higgins and Tucker Carlson recently. I'm a big fan of Clay Higgins. And it's no doubt that I think the regime itself, they run these false flag operations. And so you've got FBI and other intelligence assets creating the chaos. So Mm -hmm. even if the people don't carry out enough political violence, they will, which then Mm -hmm. could lead to the people uh, you know, adding more fuel on the fire. So, you, what are your thoughts when it comes to this talk of uh, second civil war in the U.S.?
1: Well, I, I do recommend if anybody out there hasn't heard that interview with with uh, Clay Higginson and, and Tucker Carlson, I would definitely go check it out. It's it's really interesting that he he proposes that he says he can prove at least two hundred um, FBI informants were involved in in January six, and he says it's a lot more than that, but he can only reliably say it's about two hundred. That's scary, man, of like what those people could do. You know, people like Ray Epps, people like um, you know, the the tower guard there that was telling people to go in and out. There's he's he he proposes in that in that interview, for most people, there's no way they can figure out their way around the Capitol without a guide. Right. So I think to to figure out like, oh, how did they get to the chamber and things like that? Like it's kind of strange how they got there. So to me, that's the one thing that really worries me is kind of the direction we're going with things of you know, they're kind of setting us up and it's more of a Hegelian dialectic, right? Like they have the solution in mind. The solution is control. So what do we need to happen to make the control? Now, the thing I've struggled with is if you look at the first American Civil War, it really was geographic. And even a a lot of the the stories they tell around it too aren't true. Like, oh, it was a war to end slavery. Well, not really. It was an economic war and then slavery ended up being a part part of it, right? Um, Even in the Emancipation Proclamation, um, when Lincoln issued it, it freed slaves in territories currently under rebellion, which he had no control over anyway. So it didn't actually do anything. So I, I think number one, we're not told a lot of truth around what happened in the first civil war. Now I'm not saying, hey, I support the South and let's you know, go do this and let's keep people enslaved. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is we don't tell the truth on our history and we've started to get further and further away from like what's happening. So it becomes easier to tell a narrative to people. Now I don't see how it happens geographically because there isn't the same north-south split that there was. What does exist is like a city and state split, right? Your cities are different than your states. A lot of your states are red and a lot of your cities are blue. And if you have enough big blue cities, like in California, it swings your state blue. So I, I struggle to see how it's going to be like in that, that movie that's coming out, how they're saying, oh, it's... Texas and California joining up and doing whatever. Like, I just don't see states being able to split off because I don't see them having enough power unless people leave those states, right? That's something that could happen. Is we get to a certain point, people could say, Well, I'm leaving Texas or I'm leaving California or I'm doing whatever and going to a different state. We have seen that a bit, and COVID did force that a bit, actually, with forcing people to move to places like Florida, move out of New York, and things like that. Um, but I do think that, especially during this election, they're pushing us towards something. I think there will be an election in 2024. However, I don't think it's going to be what most people expected it to be. I do think it will be more of a, a Ron DeSantis versus Gavin Newsom type of standpoint, which because to me, it seemed weird that that Hannity had a debate with two guys that don't really matter. Um, but I think that's your your 2024 fuel is what you're looking at. They're going to eliminate Trump. It's going to piss somebody off. And they're going to do something stupid. And then they're going to say, OK, now we have to do this because this person did something stupid. And I just don't see Biden making it to the election. He's just he's too darn old. So, it's we're we're in a really weird standpoint right now where I think 2024 is going to be kind of this, you know, no seatbelts year like we've ever seen in our history.
0: Yeah. I just was reading this morning, but JP Morgan strategist predicts Biden will pull out of presidential race over poor health. So, it's really difficult to see what the road ahead will be like, but we will know (laughs) soon enough. And, um, yeah, you know, we've you know, th- this is the sort of stuff that I often cover for me to, you know, what what's most uh important, but um you know, are, are there other things that are important for you, other topics uh themes that uh you've been looking at or you're you're going to be uh looking at. Well, to me the most
1: important was education because if we're not doing something about education and there's a lot of different threads in this, right? If you look at kind of the the whole student loan crisis, right? If you wanted to start a business there I can't tell you, man. I've been been in business for eight years. It took us five years to get a substantial line of credit and a business credit card, which is ridiculous. But you can get a student loan where you get $100,000 and they're just give it to you easy and they do it at you know 6 to 8% interest, which by the way, they used to be 2 or 3% interest. So the one part of it is the debt crisis it creates. People come out of school with $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 in debt. So then when they get out, they have this need for money which they're not going to get an entry level job. So you have kind of the economic thing around the, around everybody's neck. That's one part of it. The other part of it is people aren't coming out of school with a, with a skill they can actually do something with. They're, they're getting a lot of ideas and thoughts and things, but they're missing, they're totally missing application. You know, most marketing professors are marketing professors because they don't know how to market or they failed at it. And I, 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 the US government actually employs the most MBAs, which is quite interesting, master's of business. So there's that aspect but then if you bring in also the woke aspect our colleges have become just these woke factories of turning out people with bad ideas so we have kids that can't make money they don't have applicable skills and they're just kind of win with their ideas like we're really ruining the next generation so i think there has to be some sort of giant kind of turnaround in in higher education and i don't i don't know if it's that Loans would have to be underwritten by the schools because then they really care. Um, My favorite idea is you have people do 15% down, you know, of what they would do uh, to start, right? Because they have to have some money in to have it in the game. And then let's say your first three to five years out of college, your school makes 5, 10, 15% of what you make. Well, they would really want to make you productive then. So I think there needs to be some kind of giant change in that. But that also means you have to clean out your colleges of education. You have to look at like, you know, what skills do people need because they're missing? There's a giant skills gap. So if we don't fix education, we could fix all this economic stuff right now. but We'd be screwed anyway, because we're going to have a next generation that can't and doesn't know how to do anything.
0: Yeah, I've also been having some conversations with folks regarding the next um, generation. Newsweek reported recently that there's been a huge decline in males um, attending College and university. And I think there are a lot of alternatives, trade schools. You know, if I were 18 again and I knew mm-hmm. uh, some of what we're talking about, I would just skip university and go to a trade school. They're saying oh, now you can go six months, nine months, whatever, a year. You learn a real activity to do trade, whatever it is plumbing, carpentry, electric. There's a need, huge need for all that stuff. And then it's we that i was guilty of that when i grew up you know 20 years ago i had this mentality and i would even joke about it my father's a a, you know blue collar working class and i you know i went i studied as you said liberal arts white white collar right teaching and all that and then i was poo-pooing the 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 working class uh the the blue collar stuff and you realize that they're making uh easily a year 50 grand 100 grand more than that and these guys as you mentioned they're getting uh out of university with liberal arts, hundreds of thousands in debt, they can't do anything uh, and their life is ruined. And so I, I think- Well, we, there's we also are- a
1: couple different issues from that too. Like there's a giant trade shortage right now. If you want to make a lot of money in the next five to 10 years, become a plumber, become a pipe fitter, become an electrician because people aren't going into those careers because they're seen as like dirty, right? But there's a lot, like I worked for a house painter in um, high school college, grad school, like for a good 10 years. And I had to learn basic carpentry. I had to learn a lot of different things. So my wife loves it now because I do all these projects at home and she, they look like she hired somebody. Um, and I think it's important to be able to have that, that skill set to be able to do that. Um, but number two, like, let's say something does happen in the economy. You need to be able to have a tradable skill. And I think we're in a really rough position if we don't have that, right? Like you need to have a trade.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I do think we are seeing some of a a bit of a resurgence. um, So people are slowly going in that direction. So um, uh, that's good. Uh, Any thoughts on the biosecurity state? You know, we went through the pandemic, air quotes, um, and it it, it seems like, you know, governments around the world are still finding, um, still trying to talk about it. I I read a headline yesterday, triple-demic threat or... Some nonsense like that, but um, do you have any fears they're gonna uh, he, you know bring this back at some point in the future this dystopian biosecurity uh, agenda?
1: You know, I think a lot of people have wised up to it, man. I think a lot of because I think that's actually the thing if I look at a lot of my friends, that's a lot of the things that woke people up, right? Like they didn't care if it was politics, they didn't care if it was culture, but once the biosecurity state come in, man, they're suddenly conservative or libertarian. So like, it's really happened with a lot of people in my life. And um, I actually take a lot of pride in, so I've had COVID three times. Um, I take a lot of pride in, uh, a lot of people around me had it last week and I got a little scratchy and I finally beat it. So I guess I've built up my immune system again. But I I, I think um, we're seeing a lot of people starting to build up immune systems again and things like that, where they're realizing like, hey, we can beat this thing. Because you know what happened is if you're not exposed to diseases, if you're not exposed to different things, like you lose your immunity right because you have to learn new immunity you know it was a new disease we had to learn how it works and i think you know bodies like my own in this past week have been able to have been able to beat it and been able to do better so i think a lot of people have kind of wised up to this because they're also seeing as well you know how bad the treatment was and how bad these different things were like the number of people that died from being put on a ventilator and didn't die from covid is is a little bit crazy so i think we've gotten to the point where people have wised up enough and they're just not going to permit it. Now, the thing you do have to worry about, though, is like the WHO making a partnership with YouTube and things like that. So it's like, they're still trying to control our information, even if we are waking up. So you're people having people that are having firsthand experience, are saying, oh, okay, I don't agree with it because I've experienced this. And they're talking to other people they know, but you're losing the ability to do it online. So I think that's something we do have to really worry about. But I don't know, man, like one-to-one, I don't know about you. I've, I've seen... I think the biosecurity state has woken up more people I know than anything else I've experienced in my lifetime.
0: Yeah, th- that is a good point. Um, and you know, w- one reason I I like talking to you is that you, you know I I'm, I shamelessly say I'm a uh, black pill or cyanide pill in a sense where I take that from Legal Man, a huge fan of his. film dot com, watch it if you haven't. And um, uh, and you, you know, you've got a very go-getting. Uh, attitude and very optimistic. And so, you know, given the situation we're looking at, you know, thoughts on what do we do?
1: Yeah. Well, I I think there's a few things you can do. Like I'm I'm not a, like, I don't know that school choice is the answer because I'm still worried about like, well, if they're controlling the money, they can still decide on what our kids are learning, but it's still better than how things currently are. So I think number one is education. You know, if school choice is what you're willing to do, then great. Go after that. If you have the time and the ability and you're willing to homeschool, go after that. You have to start handling things on your local level and in your family. I know for us, uh, we have two dozen chickens. We have a pig, we have different things at our home. So like, um, I will say during the winter, we do have to still buy eggs, um, every, every couple of weeks. Cause we just don't get the number we do during the summer. I get a dozen a day during the summer. I only get, you know, three or four a day during the winter and we eat a lot of eggs, but how can you start to become more reliable on yourself and how can you start to handle your own family? I think when you're doing that, when you're teaching your kids morals and values, when you're teaching your kids religion, like, you know, one of the things that scared me the most in in, in my uh, theology studies was when I had to study Catholic social teaching. It's literally just Marxism. So I think it's getting back to, you know, what are our real um you know religious ideas what are our real religious traditions how are we spiritual i think people can get too much into the the bookishness of it and studying like the different philosophers the different theologians and things like that to me i go back to you know what does the doctrine that's been around forever say you know what does you know the bible say what does you know sources that have existed for a very long time say not somebody else who's a secondary source so i think that's what it comes back to is really Holding those things that are true and helping to further those in your own life. And, you know, for me, like in our in our lake here, we have a homeschool community where all the families work together and they operate. So like, how can you help other people to do the same thing you do? Because if you're just helping your family, sure, you're making a difference, but are you gonna make a difference for more people? And I think that's what it comes down to.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of like what would just came to mind for me, it's like one of the answers is going back to the old days like like uh homesteading and e- even if you're in an urban or semi-urban a- environment i i still feel like you know we're homeschooling we, we have a network just like you mentioned and you're doing a lot of you're you're just disengaging from the system uh yes. you know number one you're not doing what everyone else is doing and i often f- find one of the biggest obstacles uh is, is is the group like we you know every week you know we're meeting with friends neighbors acquaintances family and then the, the, their attitude towards you. Many people will capitulate. We we don't. I think the key is having this strength or grit to break through that. Where they're they're like looking at you like you're crazy. Oh, you don't send your kids to school. Like you, you don't do whatever all of us are doing. You don't have a Netflix. You got to stop caring you know? though, man. Right, because yeah. I think
1: when when you're you're gonna make a lot of bad decisions because of what other people think. And and one of and I don't even remember who said this, but when I heard it, I'm like, damn, that's true. And you got to like not live your life for people that wouldn't die for you. Right. And I think that's what a lot of people do is they're living their life for what other people think. And when you do that, you're going to make some really, really bad decisions, man. Don't make, don't live your life for people that wouldn't die for you.
0: It, it, exactly. And yeah, I just, you just feel once you sort of break through that mentally and you're doing whatever you want, is just amazing. And you don't care what anyone um says and yeah. And any, any other thoughts on, um, thriving, you know, you you're doing business, entrepreneurship, um, you know, whether it's for people starting a business or just working on a skill or or a passion project uh because you know, I think we we all you st- know, we all have to start homesteading, building a parallel system, parallel structure, getting good at 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 doing things uh mm-hmm. whether it's raising chickens or or starting a business, any any other tips on um on the way forward.
1: Well, the thing I would say is number one, I think entrepreneurship like really is the doorway to freedom and the doorway to like creating something more. But the thing I would caution people around um, is there are certain le- certain legal norms in this country of like, you know, paying taxes and doing these different things, and sure, maybe I don't like them, but like you shouldn't try to avoid those things and make yourself a target if that makes sense what you should be doing is like looking at, okay, what are the legal rudiments I need to have in my business? I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to like them. That's why I don't do business in New York state anymore. Trust me. Um, but like, you know, what is the most business friendly place to do and what are all the legal things I have to do? Because if you do one thing out of, out of line, you're then making yourself a target. So I would say become a business owner, create something good, help other people do things but make sure you are having your I's dotted and your T's crossed when it comes to legal things, because that's where you're going to make it so the state can absolutely hammer you. And that's why you need to like make yourself not a target, man.
0: I I would fully agree with you. I mean, sometimes I'll come across um, expats around the world who say, yeah, I don't file my IRS thing or uh, I don't do this or that. And I'm just kind of like, it's Not a so, good like idea, you. man. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't. I don't believe. I, you know I've seen all those. Documentaries. Well,
1: because they're going to say, "Oh, look at this guy. This guy is standing out. Let's see what else he's doing."
0: Exa- exactly. And I've seen all those documentaries, and I fully agree with them. For Aaron Russo, freedom to fascism, IRS agents themselves. Like, there's no law you have to pay income tax, but if you don't, and you're doing something like you know maybe I am, where yeah. you know you're pointing out the uh, you know what what the regime is doing. Uh, it's you're ripe for being. Uh, targeted so it's, it's best not to uh mess with that stuff and so um
1: I, I learned that lesson the hard way when I was 19. I was driving a I was really into cars when I was a teenager in my 20s and I had a, a souped up Volkswagen golf that was like turbo and like you know it was lowered and it had a loud exhaust and all this stuff so I get pulled over for for failure to stop at a stop sign and cop walks around the car and he goes what else you got in this piece of shit? I can give you a ticket for so it's like once you stick out, man, they're going to find you. So it's like you know, at least blend in.
0: <laughs> it, 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 exactly, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like well, once I get the DHS, I'm on the DHS's list. Uh, yeah, I don't want to mess around. So yeah, that, that's a uh, excellent point. And so yeah, and any you know, final thought for us then?
1: No, I would just say like you have to realize that if you don't agree with something and you see it, you have to point it out and do something about it. You can't decide it's someone else's job. But I, I would also think that you can't live passively, man. You have to be active in life. You have to be active in doing things. And I think to to depend on an employer or different things like that is not the right way to go. You know, build a business, create something, create value, build valuable final products other people want to exchange for. So I think if you're going to focus on that, it, it's that type of a viewpoint and that type of work that's going to change things because I do think we can be saved. I do think there is a bright future out there, but it does depend on those people that create value and that do things. And if you look at it in socialist and communist societies, the reason they fail is when there's five people working and the one guy sleeping under the tree makes the same as the other four. Well, then you stop seeing people create value. And that's when we're doomed. But there's still an ability to create value. There's still an ability to do things. And I think if an, as an individual, if you can do that, you're actually furthering the world a lot better than a lot of other people are.
0: Yeah, as Teddy Roosevelt, uh, I believe, would say, he his the phrase was, get action. And then, you know, Jocko Willing, who I'm a fan of, he also has something along those lines uh, as well. He's up at like 4 a.m. Uh, every morning. I don't do that. Working out. <laughs> 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 me, me neither, but uh,
1: something. I do the s- cold shower every, every day, but no 4 a.m., man.
0: Yeah, w- 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 Wim Hof's uh, cold shower. Yeah, well... Um, it's great chatting. We'll we'll continue chatting. Uh, Jeremy, all your stuff, I think, is at jeremyryanslate.com, right? That's correct. Yeah, and I'm, I'm at jeremyryanslate on all platforms. All right. Well, I look forward to chatting again in the future. Thanks for being uh, for the first time on Geopolitics and Empire.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. And
0: uh, we'll definitely have to have you on my show again soon, too.